But likewise, today is what is known in the Christian community as uh, Pentecost or Pentecost Sunday. The word Pentecost comes from the word 50. It means it's been 50 days since the resurrection, since Easter Sunday. And, and as a result of that, that was the time God chose to impart his spirit to all mankind. Up to that point of time, God's spirit was certainly all present, but not readily available. And only in, in select occasions and to individuals in particular would God bring his spirit and work on them and, and through them. But none of them had the privilege of having his spirit indwelling them and abiding with them until Christ had came and lived and died and rose again. And after Christ paved the way through his sacrificial death and the awesome resurrection by the power of God's spirit, then and only then was it the right time that you and I could be recipients of God's life, of God's spirit. So that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, Jesus spoke of this on a number of occasions, and the one I want us to start with is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 1. In Mark 9, 1, Jesus is wrapping up some thoughts, and he transitions into this statement. And he said unto them, Truly I say unto you, that there are some of you who are standing here, who will not taste of death until you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Until you have seen God's kingdom come with power. Now Jesus has been introducing thoughts about the kingdom and he has been addressing the issue of the kingdom in an entirely different way. A way beyond the understanding of the common person and certainly beyond the understanding of the nation of Israel. You see, the nation of Israel, as all nations at that time, had what we call kingdoms. They had a king, and that king was typically a dictator that ruled that nation, and those people were his subjects, and they were under his dominion. Jesus came to introduce a new dimension, a new quality of life that was available to all mankind, not just the Jewish people, but all people of all races and all places. Jesus established a new kind of kingdom. Matthew is distinct in his recognition of this, and he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, and for good reason. The kingdom of heaven is, in fact, the realm, the spirit realm of God. The kingdom of God, as it was known at the time, was the earthly kingdom in Israel that God ruled and reigned through his people, the Jewish people. But now God is saying, I have something much more for you than an earthly ruler or an earthly kingdom. I want you to be brought into the spiritual dimension of my presence and power in such a way that the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual kingdom, can express itself in you and through you. And that means you and I now are allowed to get in on the life of God. We get to partake of the life of God. So when, John, when uh, Jesus speaks here in Mark 9, 1, he says, The kingdom of God shall come with power. Now what he's saying is, God's kingdom is going to come to earth. You may remember in what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, but in Matthew... In Matthew there, he talks about this kingdom, this kingdom that would come on earth. And, and Jesus says, this is how you would pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth 
as it is in heaven. What has he just established? He's established a new format. That our prayer is going to be in a prayer of anticipation that God, who rules and reigns in the eternal realm, the God who is all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, wants to come and take up residence in us. Yes. He wants his kingdom to come and take up residence in us. So Jesus then makes the point, the kingdom of God is within you. What he's telling us is God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And you and I are spirit beings. God is spirit, John 4, 24, Jesus says. And since God is spirit, you and I made in his image are likewise spiritual beings. And so what God wants to do is he wants our spirit to be made alive by his spirit. You see, we're spiritually dead as humans. When we're born, we're born spiritually dead. And what that means simply is this. We are void of the life of God. We do not have God's life in us. So, Colonel Rash illustrated that quite vividly. He lived his life as unto himself, as all humans do, doing the best we can with what we've got. The assumption is we have to be our own God. Not that we think we're some sovereign supreme. It just means we have to, we have to make the most of our life. The old saying that was, you have to play the hand you've been dealt. Whatever that means to you, you've got to survive on planet Earth. And it's a hard place to live, as you've all, I'm sure, come to be aware. But there's another realm, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven, and there's another source, a power source greater than us, who has chosen to make himself available to us so that we could not just limp along through life in a sort of a grin and bear it, survival mode and even those who've done the best they can on planet earth are still as my grandson noted when he was down with us in Honduras recently the people down here have very little and seem to be more content than the people in America that have so much well why is that because we in America having all the things we have have figured out things are not going to satisfy us something's missing something's needed and as Colonel Rich was standing there about to get married to his beautiful bride and suddenly the Spirit of God, now this the Holy Spirit, invaded his space. God's Spirit spoke to him. God's Spirit made him aware that God is love, that God loved him and that God is that third strand that all of us need if we're going to have true strength and stability in life. So here we are and Jesus is at the stage. <laughs> the Spirit of God is going to come in power. When God comes, God is all-powerful. So when His Spirit comes to us, the power of God, the strength of God, is made available to us. We now have the source of power, the power source, the source of strength, the source of life in us. So going further along in that, as we go to the day of Pentecost, setting the stage for this in preparation for that day. And we find in the book of Acts, Jesus giving his final word. It's given in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the last recorded word we have about our Lord Jesus. And he told them, he said, just stay where you are. But he says, you're about to receive power. 
You're about to receive power. That is to say, God's Spirit is about to come to you. The power of God in the Spirit of God is about to be imparted to you. You're about to receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the power comes when the Spirit comes. But it's something that must be received. And so what he's saying to us is, if you're willing to receive, and Jesus on a number of occasions talked about the absolute necessity of our being receivers. And he said, if you're willing to receive it, are you willing? You must be willing to receive. Now, some of us, sorry, Colonel, are hard-headed and stubborn, and we take longer. Some of us go through many more in the school of hard knocks. Some of us just keep going around and around Mount Sinai, taking one more lap, as our coach used to tell us. Well, we didn't get it good when we were in in, uh, our athletic training. But we have to keep going and going and going until finally, somewhere, somehow, we come to our senses, like the prodigal son. He spent a long time in the far country until he finally came to his senses. And when he did, he did what the Bible calls repent. He turned from where he was and what he was thinking and realized what I have and what I need is in my father's house. Now, our heavenly father has everything you need. And we need to turn and go, turn a 180 and completely leave what is behind and cleave to what he has made available to us through Jesus Christ the Lord. So we've got to make a turn toward him. And we've got to go to him. And we've got to humble ourselves as the prodigal son did when he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He conceded, I have messed up my life. And the Bible calls it sin. Understand sin is not about a bad person doing bad things. Sin is about a dead person doing dead things. And whatever we do in the energy of our strength, no matter how good it looks in the eyes of man, is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. He says it's dead works. They're void, they're in, inadequate, they will not satisfy, and they cannot gratify. That's why no matter how much we have and how much we do and how much we achieve, it's never quite enough. Never quite enough. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now let's back up Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And Jesus has gathered the people together, his disciples to be sure, the apostles are there. They came together and he's speaking to them. And he said to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he then said, you have heard from me. I've already told you about this, but you must wait until you have the promise of the Father. Now, there was a time and place where they had to wait. We no longer need to wait, but we must receive. But to understand what he's doing here, first of all, he calls it the promise of the Father. So what promise of the Father is he referring to? Well, in Joel chapter 2, in verse 28, the promise is given. The prophet Joel explains that there's going to come a day and God is going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Everyone will now be a recipient of God's Spirit. All we have to do is receive. He's going to, he makes His Spirit available to all people of all places and all races. So God's Spirit will now be made available to all of us. And our privilege is to believe and receive. 
Well, that's the promise. And when that happens, there will be signs and wonders. There will be evidences that Jesus is Lord in our life. There will be evidences that Jesus is at work in us by his spirit. The power source will enable us to live differently. We'll have a different kind of character, the fruit of the spirit. We'll have a different kind of conduct. We will begin to walk in a way that honors and respects our fellow man. We'll begin to walk in a way of humility, in a way that is uh, mindful of the needs of others. And we won't any longer be constantly out there arguing and fighting and grumbling and complaining. We'll now be grateful and respectful. But this is what it was all about. So then, after Jesus instructs them to wait, he says, but you've already heard this from me. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, there's just a couple of things I want us to look at on this uh, in regard to what Jesus was saying. And um, one is in, in John uh, chapter 7. And Jesus gradually introduces the Holy Spirit. And I've already quoted uh, John 4, uh, 24 about God is spirit. But now in, in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, and Jesus is, is there at the feast day. And it says it happened to be on the last day, which is significant. It was the eighth day. It's the day of the new creation, by the way. And so here he is on the last day of the feast. Jesus stood and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. He's talking about people who are desperate, who people who are dissatisfied, people who are frustrated, people who are needy people who are willing to admit they need something more than what they've got. They need something more than what they can do. If any man is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And then he adds, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So remember I said that we're made in God's image, so we're spirit. So what Jesus is saying is from your spirit, when you believe in him, his spirit is going to enter into your spirit, and then his spirit is going to come through your life, and suddenly you'll be full of his spirit. You'll be full of his presence and full of his power. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then to be sure that we all understood, there was a parenthetical statement here in my Bible, but it's simply a sidebar almost, but it's an explanatory word. This, Jesus was speaking of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So now we understand this river of living water is in fact the spirit of the living God. It's the spirit of God himself. And Jesus is saying, when you believe in me as the son of God, and when you receive me, then my spirit will come into you. And now you will have my spirit in you so that now my very life will be resident in you and will then empower you to live life, a superior quality of life. Not that you become a superior person to others, but you will have a superior quality of life because the one who is superior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has now come to rule and reign in your heart. 
And as such, he has dominion in you, and if you will entrust your life to him, he will have dominion over you. And that means he will exercise his strength, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge through you to enable you and equip you to live life as he intends in a life that's full and a life that's meaningful. Well, Jesus comes back to this in John 14. And now he elaborates. He just keeps enlarging upon this awareness. And he's talking really again about the kingdom of heaven, which is a spiritual kingdom which involves the spirit of God. And so in John 14, as Jesus is setting the stage for his departure, he, he lets his disciples know, especially his apostles, he says, now I'm about to leave. He says, but don't be concerned. It's all going to be okay. Because, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. So John 14, and looking at verse uh, 16, he says, I'm going to pray to the Father, God the Father, and he will give you another comforter. And this one, this other comforter, will abide with you forever. And Jesus is saying, look, I can only be at one place at one time in this physical body. But what I'm about to do is impart my life to you so that I can be within you and live in you and be with you wherever you go all the time. And I'll never leave you. And I will never ever forsake you. And then he says, to be sure, in verse 17, I'm talking about the spirit of truth. Jesus has already said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. He says, I am the one who is true and what I tell you is the truth. And what I do is always true and right and good. But he says, it's the spirit of truth that I'm making available to you. And my spirit in you will cause you to know the truth and the truth will make you free. So that's what my spirit is here to do. So going back to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus said, John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's telling them, get ready. It's about to happen. You've been hearing about this promise. You've read about it in the book of Joel. Many generations have looked forward to it and eagerly waited for it. But now it's time. Now it's here. So sit up and take notice. Don't be asleep. Don't be indifferent. Don't be in doubt. Just be expectant. There's an expectancy to faith. And he was getting them ready to receive. So you've got to be desperate. That means you've got to know you have a need for the Lord and you've got to have a desire for him. But you've also got to be expectant that he's going to do what he says he will do and he is going to accomplish what he says he will accomplish. So you're expectant. And he says, okay, and what's going to happen? He says, well, the Spirit of God, you're going to be baptized with God's Spirit. And he gives a parallel with John the Baptist, who baptized them physically. And if you've been baptized or seen a baptismal service, and especially those that are through immersion, uh, there's a pool out here. Pastor Mike baptizes people in that swimming pool. It's, it's an, a very convenient place. In fact, our granddaughter got baptized there, and I got to be a part of that, and that was a special day. But you, you go into the baptismal water, they call it, 
and it's in order for you to be immersed. And so you place in the water, and as Jesus was when, when he was baptized in the River Jordan, he he was he went out into the water and he was baptized. So when you're baptized, your your body is placed under the water, which means you're con completely covered by the water. You're consumed by the water. You're saturated with the water. You're permeated with the water. And that's what Jesus is saying is going to happen by his spirit. So that when this day comes, this day of Pentecost, when the spirit of God is imparted, then God's spirit will now be available so that he can come into you and then fill you so that you can be baptized or totally consumed by his spirit so that his spirit will be all of his spirit will come into you so that all of his spirit can live through you and fill you so Jesus now makes us aware of what's going on and then we move to Acts chapter 2 and this is the big day it's the day of Pentecost Acts 2 1 and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all together with one accord in one place. So you had the group of people that are waiting, maybe a 500 people, but they're all gathered together, the apostles, the disciples, all those who were expectant of Jesus and, and expectant of what he had promised, the, the, the promise of, of the Father, which is what he then told about the Spirit. So they're waiting together in one accord. Unity is an important thing, being together and being in one accord. So you must be in one accord or in agreement with God and his word, with Jesus Christ, who is Lord. Now, in that place, together, one accord, and verse 2, and suddenly a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, it filled all the house where they were sitting. So suddenly, in an instant, so Colonel Rash is standing there. He's about to get married. An exciting moment. I mean, your mind is farthest away is from God. <laughs> I mean, let's just face it. You're going to get married. You're looking forward to being with your bride. I mean, this is what it's about. A wonderful woman has now said yes to us men. I can't get it, but they do. And praise God for it. Thank you, Lou. So anyway, that's how it works. But in the midst of that, and at the least unlikely, most unlikely time, and without any expectation or awareness on his part, except the Spirit of God had been grooming and preparing him and pursuing him because of the great love God has for every one of us. And then suddenly, the Lord invaded his face and God's Spirit spoke to him as he wants to do to every one of us and has done in different ways throughout our lifetime. And when that happened, his presence filled that place. There's an atmospheric change. So when, when Colonel Rich described how suddenly he began to sweat and, and sort of trembled and, and like he was stunned and didn't remember anything after that, it's because the atmospheric presence of God changes everything. When the Spirit of God comes into us, when we receive Christ, our life is changed and our focus is different and our thinking is different. Our understanding is different. Everything about us is different. And so then verse 3, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, which set upon each of them. Now, this takes us back to um, what, what is talked about in Matthew 3 verse 11. And it says there that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the baptism of fire is absolutely essential, and yet everybody wants to have this other baptism. 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is great. But you must first be baptized with fire. The baptism of fire, what is it? Well, think about fire. Fire is purifying. Fire is cleansing. Fire purges us. So what happens is God's Spirit comes to cleanse us because he wants to come into a clean temple, one that is cleansed of all unrighteousness, and one that is because of Christ's death on the cross, we can now be uh, forgiven of our sins and set free from our sins and we can be cleansed of our sins. And so God's Spirit, that baptism of fire was His way of preparing each of those people to be recipients of His Spirit. So then the next stage it says as uh, and then in verse 4 then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of fire comes, we're cleansed, <laughs> we're forgiven, and now we can be filled with God's Spirit. We can receive the Spirit of God. We can allow the life of God to come and indwell us. And so that's what then happened. So God's Spirit came in. And in this case, uh, this is at the beginning, and Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses. So sure enough, they began to witness. They began their life. See, here's the thing. We think of witnessing as what we've been told or taught maybe in our generation or in this culture. It's like you've got to go out and you knock on a door or you tell somebody a plan of salvation. No, a witness means you're a living demonstration. A witness means your life is now manifesting the life of Christ. That means your life now portrays the character of Christ. They see in you a different person. So when my, my friend was with me just a few uh, days after I had received Christ and he looked at me and he said, you're not the same person anymore. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you don't curse like you used to and you don't act like you used to. You're just different. You, you think different. I said, I don't know. He said, what's going on? I said, well, I did give my life to Jesus. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> See, I didn't even know. I just knew I gave my life to Jesus. He came in and he changed my life. Little did I know what a change he had made. But my friend saw it. Another one of my friends later, when I allowed the Lord to take complete control and fill me, he said, I've never seen a change in a person like what you changed in six months. It was, again, the Spirit of God, not anything I conjured up, not anything I had mastered, no, no um, agenda I was trying to fulfill, no set of principles I was trying to live out. No, he, he just did it. That's who he is. That's what he does. So they were all filled with the Spirit. And then they began to speak in different tongues. Now, let's don't get bogged down on the tongues issue. But there is a reality of what happened here. God's Spirit, specifically it says, gave them utterance. That is, He gave them the ability to speak with these different languages. Languages that were known because all the people there came from various parts of the world for this very important um, feast, the Feast of Weeks or the, the Feast of uh, First Fruits. And they were gathered. And it says there in verse 7, well, verse 6, every man heard them speak in his own language. So suddenly they're hearing them speak in these specific known languages. They understood. They understood. And as a result, it said in verse 7, they all were amazed and they all marveled. You see, when the Spirit of God speaks through us, whether in a known or an unknown language, it causes people to sit up and take notice that Jesus is Lord. When the religious leaders called the apostles in to question them, this is later on in the book of Acts, and they began to ask them different questions. 
And then it says, these leaders took knowledge of these uneducated apostles. And they said, they're unlearned and ignorant men. But we know one thing. What we see and hear is Jesus. They've been with Jesus. And because they've been with Jesus, <laughs> Jesus undoubtedly is with them. And we see and hear Jesus speaking and working through them. It's the same thing that we heard and saw from Jesus himself when he walked the earth. Well, what happened? He's being reproduced in their lives because the Spirit of Christ is now in them doing what he did in the person of Jesus Christ himself. And so we have life being imparted and life being lived. And it's his life. So they're all amazed. And then later, uh, a few verses down, after Peter stands up to explain, because everybody thinks these people must be crazy, might even be drunk. And then Peter stands up, verse, uh, Acts 2, verse 16, and says, this is simply what was spoken by the prophet Joel, that promise of the Father. I, I mentioned that earlier. And it shall come to pass, verse 17, in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And then down in verse 19, he says, I will show signs and wonders. This is who he is, and this is what he does. See, what he does is the same thing he did in the life of Jesus. Verse 27 it says, Jesus was a man who was proved to be the true and living God among you because of the miracles and the wonders and the signs which God did by Christ in your midst. So, when the Spirit of God is in us, He enables us to do things that are not the norm. He enables us to do things and empowers us to do things that are above and beyond our average human strength and ability. It's who he is and what he does. It's simply his life in us that imparts his power to us. Now, the Apostle Paul, he talked about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he said, When I came to you, I didn't come with the words of man's wisdom. But what you got when you got me was you got a representation of Christ. I came as a demonstration of the Spirit and power. In other words, Paul was saying, my life is exhibit A. My life was a living demonstration that Jesus Christ is Lord in me. The kingdom of heaven has come into my life. That King Jesus now rules and reigns in me. And so what you see in me and what you hear from me is simply not my words, but Jesus himself enabling me by his spirit to say what is right and good and necessary at just the right time and in just the right way. And when, the, when you see things happening, it's because of who he is and what he does. So we know, for example, God opens doors that no man can shut. I was going to take a mission trip with a friend, and we were going to Indonesia in 1987. I got to the airport, my wife and I, his family arrived, but he was coming separate and he was running late. I waited till I was the last one and I finally said, sir, if you don't get on now, they're about to close the door and you know what that means, you will not go on this flight. So I got on, but as I turned to tell my wife and friends goodbye, that was back when you would stand at the door, I said, you know, the Lord is gonna open this door and he's gonna get him on and we will go on this flight. So I got aboard, they closed the door, and they prepared for takeoff. Well, it's the final thing. 
Now my friend is outside and he's standing there waiting and looking and they're about to leave. And then as the pilot went through his various tests and suddenly one of the lights went off or some instrument indicated a problem. So he announced, sorry, we have to wait a while. We're waiting for the mechanic to come. We have to have something checked out. Please just bear with us. So a few minutes went by. Pretty soon the mechanic stepped aboard the plane and following him was my friend. <laughs> you see, God opens a door that no man can shut. Now, we think things are impossible, but with God, truly all things are possible. And because the Spirit of God comes into us, that means the life and power of God is now available to us. And if we will but believe and receive, then trusting Him, He makes a way and He works it out. And that's what He wants to do in every one of us who have gathered here today, if we'll simply but believe and receive. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you had a wonderful plan in mind that included every single one of us, that you wanted all of us to get in on your life, that we might um, be containers of your life, that we might experience your life, that we might express your life. Your desire was that your awesome kingdom, your spiritual kingdom, your heavenly kingdom might become available to us, that you, King Jesus, might enter into us by your spirit, and that you might rule and reign in our lives, that you might have dominion over us so we could have dominion over the earth, even as you told Adam and Eve back in the beginning, just have dominion over the earth and subdue the earth. And Lord, we're not here to dominate and dictate. We're simply here to serve, to serve our country, to serve our, our, our families, to serve your kingdom, that we are privileged to be a part of the kingdom of God through the kingdom of heaven, which now is within us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came, you sacrificed, you died, you rose again, and now you've made your spirit available to us. Lord, grant us the grace to believe and receive, to just cause us, Lord, to open up and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins. You've come to live in us, and we receive your spirit, Lord Jesus, even as we see breath of air we breathe in and receive your spirit come into us take control of us live your life through us fill us with your spirit may jesus be glorified in all i am and all i have in jesus name amen, amen. okay so glad you were here last word pastor